This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Martin Selmayr. Martin Selmayr is the chef de cabinet, the chief of staff of the president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker. Martin, there's so much we could talk about, but I would like to try and frame this podcast around the related themes of the priorities of the new commission, which, as you know, took, took office just over 18 months ago, the restructuring that took place as part of that new commission, and what you do as a new commission to, to communicate, not just the media, but to the outside world more generally about what you're, what you're at. Now, as you know much better than I do, because you know Mr. Juncker better than I do, when he took office, he made this statement about this is the kind of last chance commission. I, I presume he meant that against the backdrop of the, the EU as a whole, not just the European Commission, being seen as rather distant, a lot of disillusionment with, with Europe, uh, apathy towards Europe. But what is your, why do you think he said that? President Juncker said that because uh, it's his perception of the reality. Eh? We are, when President Juncker became president of the Commission, we were in year number eight since the beginning of the financial crisis. Uh, across Europe, this has uh, cost not only a lot of money, but many people lost their job. Uh, economic growth has not returned to the pre-crisis levels yet. We have a lack of investment. And we have in many countries in Europe a lack of hope, notably in those countries we have a high degree of youth unemployment. Eh? And President Juncker is, after many, many decades in European politics, very much aware that uh, if the situation doesn't improve, we don't over overcome these many crises that we are facing at the same time, then it would be very difficult to reinvigorate the European project or pe keep people with the European project. And we see that eh, since he has called the Commission the Last Chance Commission, his Commission the Last Chance Commission, you see how very right he was, uh, because we have not only still the consequences of the economic and financial crisis, we have now, in addition to that, a refugee crisis, uh, we are uh, confronted with the challenge of a possible Brexit, uh, and many, many other issues on our horizon. So uh, this Commission is a Commission that has more than ever before to perform well, to be very political, and therefore, uh, this commission cannot do business as usual. And that is what President Juncker wanted to say when he spoke about the Last Chance Commission. So when you say that he said the commission should be more political, um, what does that mean in practice? I, I can understand that um, you have these new 10 political priorities of the commission. They're quite broadly framed, but basically, as I understand it, any major initiative of the, of the European Commission since Juncker took over, uh, took office, have to be framed within the broad parameters of these 10 priorities. What does the word political mean in this context? Political means being up to the political challenge of this time. Huh? Um, a last chance commission will only be able to be successful if it focuses its work, its energy, on those issues that matter, that really change and bring Europe back uh, to uh, the pre-crisis situation, that overcome crisis, that deliver on those things that matter. A commission in five years of a mandate can do thousands of things. Yeah. But this commission, and that is what President Juncker meant with uh, mentioning the Last Chance Commission, will be remembered for uh, whether it manages to overcome the crisis. That means whether it returns Europe back to growth, whether it makes sure that uh, the refugee crisis is uh, followed by refugee management, uh, um, from chaos to order, from uh, being overburdened with a sudden influx to managing uh, legal migration and uh, organizing legal pathways to Europe instead of people dying in the Mediterranean or in the Aegean Sea, and a Europe that gives again hope. For that, we can and must focus our energy on a few things that matter, 
uh, even though we could do 100,000 things. Uh, but President Juncker wanted to say we do a few things that matter because that is what this commission has to stand for. Uh, we can unfortunately not do everything what we like to do, not everything what previous commission liked to do, but this commission is a commission that is faced with an existential crisis. And that's why we have to focus our energy on the existential matters. Okay, but when you say that the Commission has to do less but do it better, I mean, with respect, that is not a totally new concept, as you will know. Um, previous Commission presidents have tried to do that. What makes there's, a, there's a difference, Paul. Hmm? Okay. Um, President Juncker has not only said that. He has also restructured the Commission, and you will see not a single proposal comes even on the table of the College that is not in line with this philosophy. Uh, the idea is not new. But doing something about it in the structure of the Commission, that is new. Huh? You asked at the beginning about the new structure. Well, form follows function. Huh? The new structure is there to deliver these political priorities. And it works, huh? because it is not possible uh, in this Commission that any proposal just comes on the table and sees the light of day. One may call it top-down, huh? because the priorities were fixed top-down. And who fixed them? It was the President who did this as the result of what he saw in his European Parliament election campaign, because as you may recall, President Juncker didn't come into office as a normal President, as other Presidents before, but he went through an election campaign. That's why he defined his priorities, and that's why he believes he is right now to say, these are my priorities and other things don't come to the table of the Commission. And it's not only him who does that, it's a broadly shared objective across the Commission, across the members of the Commission, who are all politicians who have been before prime ministers, foreign ministers, finance ministers in their member state and therefore share with the president the view that we have cha to change not only the rhetorics but also the functioning, the daily functioning of the commission. It is a very laudable objective to regulate uh, olive cans and shower caps <laughs> uh, and, and you may find very good reason for that. Huh? I, I can give you 10 reasons and I have been trained in giving you all these <laughs> reasons but the president of this commission said whatever the good reasons for that are. At the moment, that cannot be our priority. At the moment, we have to make sure that one million refugees who came last year to Europe are being integrated, uh, that they are taken care of, and that we make sure that regular and irregular migrants are separate from each other. This is a big issue. Uh, and uh, that is bigger than the regulation of shower caps. Okay. Well, since we both touched on structure, let me push a bit on the structure. What was the, the rationale? I mean, you know, people can be very cynical and they say one of the biggest challenges for any president and his chief of staff, like you, is to find worthwhile jobs for every single commissioner, for every single member state. But obviously this, this, this new commission has been innovative, to be fair, in terms of structure. And it's very difficult, kind of, I can imagine, to, to restructure any large organisation, never mind the European Commission. But what was the kind of rationale between this new structure? Maybe you could explain to our listeners what the structure entails. I think there are two elements in that. First of all, um, limiting the number of portfolios. That is one objective. President Juncker has been Prime Minister for 19 years in his own country, and he never had to uh, create uh, uh, 27 portfolios because that is not the logical number of portfolios so you choose uh, to have exactly the numbers of portfolios that are necessary and uh, he is also used uh, as a long-serving Prime Minister of having deputies so, and having a deputy and empowering the deputy is a question of sound management huh? so what President Juncker has done he has used what is foreseen in the treaty uh, the existence of vice presidents to empower them to really replace him, uh, to do something for him. Mm? For example, uh, at the moment, the negotiations with Poland is something that President Juncker follows on a day to day basis, but the person who is in Warsaw, who is doing the negotiations with Poland on solving the rule of law crisis, is first Vice President Timmermans. 
to go to China and to discuss with China what is a commission policy to reduce overcapacity in the steel sector, something where President Juncker can send uh, Vice President Katainen to. Well, he has to look here in Brussels after the follow-up to the Greek crisis. Huh? So President Juncker can prioritize, can say, these things are Chefsache, these I deal with myself, and there are enough crisis matters that he has to do with himself, by delegating other things, and uh, also bringing the subject to the college uh, in packages uh, organized by vice presidents who are chairing project teams. These project teams follow the priorities of this commission. For example, Vice President Anzip is uh, heading the project team on the digital single market, one of the important projects that President Juncker already advocated during his election campaign. But President Juncker doesn't have to look into paragraph 15 of the copyright directive, eh? mm. because he has Vice President Anzip, who works together with seven commissioners on this file, uh, to bring this file to the college. And when it comes to the college, before Vice President Anzip may say a word to the president, say, here are two things, shall I go left or right? And these are the arguments for them. And then President Juncker makes a final decision. But he doesn't have to look into every detail. That is his deputy, whom he trusts. Eh? He has also chosen as his deputies uh, former prime ministers. Most of them are former prime ministers. When you say deputies, you mean the vice president? The vice president. Right. Uh, a vice president is a deputy who right. deputizes for the president. Uh, the deputy is a management instrument, and in this commission we call them vice president. Right. In previous commission, the vice president was somebody who had a protocol function. Uh, the vice president showed where on the uh, red carpet you are behind the president. In this commission, is really work. Huh? The vice president is somebody who has to take over responsibility, uh, who is empowered by the president to do that, and therefore helps the president to manage that. That's a very important filter to make sure that only those issues come on the table of the college, which are in line with the political pro priorities that the president said at the beginning. Okay, and you used the phrase a couple of times, project team. Maybe you could explain what a, what a project team is in practice for those people listening who don't know what a project team is. A project team is another management technique. Uh, it means that according to the main priorities of this commission, we have teams of commissioners who work on them. These teams may overlap. Some commissioner may be in several of these teams. Uh, for example, Commissioner Vistago, who is in charge of competition, will be part of the energy union team led by Vice President Sefcovic, uh, because the competition elements are very important for shaping a competitive uh, European energy single market and uh, shaping a response to uh, the challenges of energy security. We have the digital single market project team headed by uh, Vice President Anzip. We have the investment project team headed and the single market project team headed by uh, Vice President uh, Katainen. And you have always seven or eight commissioners in there and their directorates general who work together on a file and work in a collegial way to, and bring this as a team to the college. Uh, and only if they have found a solution, that they, uh, they have already argued and do, done their arbitrage, they bring it to the table of the college. So when it comes into the big room, meeting room of the college on the 13th floor of the Bellamont, uh, the project team has already looked at all aspects, presents something that is comprehensive, and uh, that's why a project team is also something to overcome the sometimes a bit more narrow approach that you see if you follow just the logic of ministerial bureaucracies, mm -hmm. something comes out of this department, something comes out of this department. It forces commissioners, departments and director generals in the commission to work together as teams and to look beyond the silos, not look only at one sectorial interest, but look at the whole picture. And I that, I think, is, is the main reason why President Juncker installed the project. Teams. Okay, I can understand why you're, you're keen to, to remove this, this Milo, uh, silo mentality that exists in that large organizations across the board, but, uh, and to encourage teamwork. But isn't the nature of the beast that if, uh, if the bigger the project team in this case, the bigger the team, the less ownership each individual commissioner might feel, because he, he or she might feel it's not really my core 
have responsibility, therefore I will take it less seriously. I have the opposite experience. Uh, normally, uh, in previous time, uh, you have saw one commissioner bringing a proposal to the college, and then only one commissioner had the ownership and everybody else didn't listen. Uh, now, uh, when things come to the table of the college, you see a proud project team. So, uh, a proud project team. There are seven, eight happy faces in the room who say we have finally completed it. They will go out and communicate about that. And I see a very strong sense of ownership about what they have jointly achieved. Teamwork sometimes leads also to team ownership. Uh, that depends, of course, a lot on how the vice presidents lead their uh, project teams. President Juncker has encouraged them at the beginning of the mandate not to be dictators, even though they decide, but to be motivators, inspirers, coordinators, moderators. And I think all vice presidents do this very well. Huh? They bring the best out of their project teams. And you see it very often. The vice president will be the one who at the very beginning of the process presents the idea uh, to the press and to the public and gets his moment of glory. But when it comes then to the many individual proposals that a project has elaborated, the vice president will leave uh, the first uh, seat, the, 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 the first row uh, to the commissioners of the project team. Because a good, uh, inspiring project team leader will make sure that everybody gets their part of the glory. And that's probably why most commissioners are very motivated. Okay, one final question in this section before we move on briefly to communication. Um, the European Parliament recently produced a report which was largely favourable, to be fair, to what you're, what you're doing, what you've achieved in the past 18 or 19 months. But they were critical in a couple of, in a couple of areas. For example, uh, the t timing of proposals, they were trying to do their own plan, their own planning to respond to commission initiatives. Uh, they, they totally uh, accepted the kind of political balance you achieve through the project team by having maybe a centre-right, a centre-left politician, stroke commissioner, vice president, roughly in charge of the same dossier. But they did also make the point that maybe, again, maybe repeating my point, that, that, that it, 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 didn't, it got in the way of ownership. I mean, do any of the, of the critical comments in that European Parliament report uh, resonate with you? Well, I think, first of all, they are right that uh, after 18 months of the mandate, uh, we are well uh, within the agenda that President Juncker has set out, in spite of the many crises that we see outside. And I think that is as such a proof of success, uh, because it could have been that all these crises distract the Commission from delivering on its agenda, and the report of the Parliament shows that is not at all the case. That as such is surprising, positively surprising. I think where we see lack of ownership is perhaps sometimes in the Parliament, because uh, the Parliament hasn't followed uh, the construction of our project teams in the composition of committees and the work on the committees. So very often the Commission makes a proposal that comes out of our project team and not immediately uh, the rapporteur can be identified and the communicating side in the Parliament is there huh? because the Parliament works still in an old structure. Huh? Some committees have started to move into this direction, some work across silos and we see that in the process where the Commission uh, elaborates in an interactive way with the Parliament its work programme, we see more and more that the Parliament also starts to work across silos. We had last year for the first time uh, an experience where the Conference of Presidents and Committee Chairs worked in a way together with uh, First Vice President Timmermans and the different project teams of the Commission that at the end led to something what was a joint work programme. So the work programme 2016 is the first work programme where the Parliament can say we understand it from the beginning to the end. We have worked on that one and we feel represented on there. So probably 
we will see next year even a stronger sense of ownership also in the parliament as we saw this year. Okay, let's move on to communication briefly. I'm sure it's no coincidence that alongside this new political uh, dimension to the European Commission and the new structure we've discussed now at some length, it seems that clearly the Commission has raised its game on communication, not just in relations with the media, but also with the the broader outside world. Could you give me uh, some examples of of how you try to improve the European Commission's uh, communication activities? I think the main driver for this uh, change of the communication work of the Commission has been the new president. Our new president, uh, uh, who is no longer a new president after 18 months, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, um, is somebody who uh, uh, follows uh, very closely what is happening in communication and in the media, because as politician, as experienced politician, he knows that uh, politics works via communication. He has, first of all, changed the fact that uh, uh, the delivery of media monitoring products to the president of the commission has been significantly advanced. Uh, he gets his first readout of what is in the European press now every morning at 8 o'clock, and he gets it five times a day, which is very important because in politics works like that. Every prime minister across Europe works like that. The commission must be at the same rhythm to be informed about what is happening because uh, that is how modern politics uh, works. Unfortunately, sometimes it works. You have to be informed in real time. So being informed in real time is the first change. Secondly, what is communicated from the press room of the commission is no longer communication by uh, spokespeople who represent individual silos of the Commission. Uh, All the spokespeople of the Commission are now directly responsible to the President of the Commission. They speak for the President. That means their line to takes may have been co-drafted and prepared by many people in-house, but the last stamp on what is being said comes from the President. And the President Uh, gives also his feedback directly to the spokespeople because he's uh, probably one of the few people in Europe who follows every day the midday briefing of the European Commission to see what people say. He's a very gentle boss because if he disagrees, he tells them, next time you do it a bit better. Uh, Sometimes he's very laudative and says, my goodness, you knew the answer to that question. I would not have known it. Um, If he can't follow because he's traveling uh, the midday briefing, he reads always the transcript of the midday briefing. Uh, And that is very good for our spokes because they know I think at the beginning it was stressful for them because they know the president watches every word and they speak for the president and uh, that is something at the beginning a bit stressful. But it gives them also some certainty and safety because they know what they say is followed by the president, if they have a line to take, is agreed by the president and they speak really for the president. And I think the journalists see that. What is said there is something that comes from the horse's mouth, as you say. And I think the third thing what the president has done in terms of of changing the style of communication is putting the commission representation of the member states directly under the authority of the president. Uh, That hadn't been the case in the past. That means uh, the commission's representative in Madrid, Rome or Vaso is now somebody who is the personal direct ambassador of the president. And that is very important for political communication in the member states. It's very important for the president to be informed what is going on in the member states. The ambassadors of the commission in the capitals are really his eyes and ears. And when they speak, uh, and when they are seen as a respected partner of a government, as most of them are in the meantime, um, then uh, governments know he is the president that speaks and uh, they can work as a good intermediary between the government of a member state and Brussels. Uh, So it it, uh, narrows the distance that that was there in the past. Uh, This is not just the communication office. There is somebody who is a political uh, interlocutor for the government in each capital in the European Union. Okay, one final question. 
You've talked a lot, and I'm, I'm quite struck by the fact how much you referred to your boss, the president, Mr. Juncker, in this conversation. Um, how do you think he would like to be remembered at the end of his five-year mandate? And linked to this, if you wouldn't mind, Martin, how would you like to be remembered at the end of this five-year term as his chief of staff? I think the second one is very easy. I don't want to be remembered. Uh, who has to be remembered is the president, because he has been elected. I think President Juncker... Uh, should be remembered, and that is my personal view, should be remembered, and I hope he will be remembered for of having overcome the crisis, having used the last chance of the Commission to turn things into a positive direction. He knows better than anybody else that the President of the Commission cannot do this alone. Huh? That's why he is uh, in close teamwork with the President of the European Parliament, the President of the European Council. They know that in these crisis times there's not the time for crisis, uh, uh, it's not the time for accentuating the crisis by turf battles, it's a time for teaming up, for working together. Um, and I hope that the staff of the Commission uh, will uh, remember the President of this Commission of somebody who has reinstalled uh, the pride in this institution and who has shown a human face. Uh, I think that is something what, what uh, people tell me from drivers to ECAs to uh, heads of units to directors to director generals um, when President Juncker enters the building, he shakes hands with everybody, he says hello to everybody, he knows the names of everybody. This is sometimes what an institution also needs. Uh, it's not something for big political communication. It's sometimes to show there's not only a president at the head of this institution, there's a human being at the head of this institution. And if he's remembered for that, I think, I think that would be right. But it's a long time until we speak about remembrance. Yeah. We're only after 18 months, so let us first do our job. We'll come back to that. Martin Sonnen. Thank you, Paul.